You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 Network. You're listening to episode 339 and I'm your host, Brittany Martin. Cameron Dutro works for Salesforce on the Quip engineering team and has held previous positions at Lumos Labs and Twitter. He's been working with Ruby on Rails for 10 years and lives in the San Francisco Bay Area with his wife, 10-month-old daughter, and cat. In his spare time, he enjoys hiking around the rolling hills behind his house. Welcome to the show, Cameron. Thanks for having me, Brittany. So I believe the listeners know this, but I spent about two years in San Francisco. Uh, This was really when I was learning how to become a developer. And there are many things that I miss about San Francisco, but I actually really do miss those rolling hills. Yeah. Oh, definitely. The rolling hills are pretty, are, are very pretty and, and just like sort of everywhere that you drive around. And so like, I'm, I'm a huge fan too. Yes. And if you could have a cup of Phil's coffee for me, that would be fantastic. <laughs> I'll, I'll drink one in your name. Thank you. So Cameron, what is your developer origin story? Yeah, I have, a, I think a pretty maybe boring slash traditional origin story. Um, I started out sort of working um, in my, like in actually it's like high school when I started really writing code. And it was because I was trying to create this program that would like help you um, create MLA citations because I thought that they were so pedantic and irritating that a computer could definitely do a better job than a human at, at writing those. And we had a, a research paper we had to do every year of high school. And so I started sort of really getting into programming with C Sharp and things with that. Um, and then decided that I thought it was cool enough that I, I wanted to try studying it in college. And so I got a, a bachelor's degree in computer science and then eventually a master's degree in computer science and, um, you know, just sort of springboarded off into the job world from there. Um, my first job was at a company called Flutter, which was an online question and answer site. And then from there, uh, Flutter was bought by Twitter and then Twitter, um, Twitter and I parted ways in 2014, and I went to Lumos Labs and then to Salesforce. That's kind of the whole journey. Wow. So what is your specific experience with Ruby on Rails? Oh, that's a good question, too. Um, my So Ruby on Rails is near and dear to my heart. It's the first, well, I guess technically the second, but certainly the the first like uh, framework that I used in any real way. Um, you know, and, and that was because at Twitter, I actually joined... Uh, the so Twitter back in the day was was Ruby on Rails, but I was working on the Twitter Translation Center, which was a crowdsourced translation platform, and it was a Rails app. And um, you know when I got to Twitter, so Twitter was acqu- acquired our our company, and um, you know didn't really tell us what they wanted us to do, and so we spent like a week, just sort of twiddling. And by say we, like four of us that were part of that company, Flutter. Um, I mean, we sort of twiddled our thumbs at the Twitter headquarters, and they were just like, yeah, you know, like. If you see something cool you want to work on, just like let us know, and we can probably fit you in somewhere. It's very, very like loosey goosey kind of, you know. And so um, I had eaten lunch, I think, at one point with some of the people that were on the internationalization team and that were working on the translation center. And they were like, "Hey, you, you, if you have an interest in internationalization, like we'd love to have you on our team." And so I just sort of like naturally joined that team, and that was all Rails, and it, it was Rails until. I left in 2014 and, and was for a long time after. And that's how I really like cut my teeth professionally was in Rails on the Translation Center. And I remember um, talking to my roommate at the time who was 
also a web developer and uh, was working mostly in PHP. And, and actually at that point, I was working mostly in PHP as well. Um, things like Cake PHP and just, just like regular you know, web pages with a SQL connection and stuff. And like, that was a, a really cool experience. Like PHP gets a lot of, of flack, I think, but it was, it's a pretty cool like developer experience. But when I saw and started using Ruby on Rails at my job, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so much better even than PHP. It just felt so much more powerful, especially the database access layer. And anybody who has ever used other frameworks, I think knows what I'm talking about, that Active Record, it might have its little, you know, problematic edges and areas of, um, I mean, they call it a leaky abstraction, you know, a bunch of sort of <laughs> very respected people say it's a, a leaky abstraction. Um, but, and, and I guess that's bad, I don't know. But it's, I find it to be delightful to use. And that was just such a huge change from the PHP world where you have to like, you know, write raw SQL and you have to like iterate over like an array of, of rows and there's no objects really at play there. It was just so much cooler and so much better. And I was like, this is, this is like what I want to do. I want to work on, in a framework like this, you know, if I ever, am going to build a website, I want to use something like this. Um, and then, you know, so Twitter sort of was the springboard. And then at Lumos Labs, we will make a product called, or we made a product called Lumosity. Well, I shouldn't use the past tense. They still do make a product called Lumosity. And it uh, is also a big, a big monolithic Rails app. And I got to work on that for a number of years as well. So yeah, so most of my professional career, about 10 years now, have all been, has all been Rails and Ruby. I love the story so much. I think my favorite part is the fact that Twitter almost treated it like a hackathon where you got to know people and see who you gelled with and then it was up to you to choose a team. I don't know if that was a result of disorganization or if that's really truly what they wanted to happen, just like something to organically happen like that. Yeah, you know, I, I don't honestly know. I think you might be giving them a little too much credit there, but just because it was pretty chaotic time. Like the, the fail whale was still a, a thing back then. And so like the company was really scrambling to like, you know, well, so one of the things they were doing was trying to convert over to using a Scala, the, the language of Scala for all their stuff. And, and so, you know, there was a lot of, of activity and stuff going on there. And I think that they just sort of like, we got Aqua hired and they sort of said, um, you know, like, I think that they sort of retroactively were like, yeah, find a place and it's whatever's cool because they just didn't really, <laughs> they didn't really know what to do with us. So, you know, but, but I mean, it's a really good spin that you put on. I think that makes a lot, of, a lot of sense, too. It very well could have been that they thought that organically finding a team was a better way to go. So I always thought that if Ruby on Rails went away, then I would naturally turn to Phoenix and Elixir. But lately, just all the news that I hear from the PHP community, I'm pretty confident I would probably turn to Laravel. So I agree, listeners, don't knock on PHP. It's doing pretty well right now. Yeah. Oh, that's so true. Yeah. PHP. I mean, it, it's just like JavaScript. It's gone through this renaissance, I think. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and JavaScript's cool too. I definitely, I definitely would go back to PHP and give it another look though, for sure. I agree. So speaking of working in other languages, you work in Python day to day. I often get questions whether or not it's easy to transition back and forth between Ruby and Python. What do you think? Oh, I, I definitely think it is. Yeah. Python is actually a, a very similar language to Ruby, at least in my opinion. Um, the syntax is, is is very similar, of course, but also there's like a lot of the way it executes is also uh, pretty similar. So you know Ruby has this this global um, VM lock that uh, sort of prevents you from doing truly parallel operations. You know, like you can't do two things at once in in Ruby, um, even with threads, because there's that global VM lock. And Python has the same. 
idea, and, and Python also has this virtual machine that runs code, and so it's an interpreted language, it runs a VM, it's got this lock, you know. There's a lot of things that are, that are really similar about Python and Ruby, um, aside from just the syntax. So, so I think if you're a Ruby programmer, um, there are certain things that are going to surprise you in Python, but that's not, I don't think that that's that different from other languages, and it's, I think, even less so uh, in Python than it would be in other languages um, in terms of, of being able to pick it up. And I think that it's also sort of similar to people who speak multiple languages, like spoken languages. If you, I've, I've heard this, that if you speak, you know, another foreign language and then you learn a third one and a fourth one, every language that you add on actually is easier to learn. I think that happens to be true also for, for programming languages. I absolutely agree. So Cameron is a shiny example of what I want to see from the listener community, someone who is excited about a project that they're working on, and they reach out to me to be on the show. So in this case, between Capistrano, AWS Pipelines, Roku, there are so many ways to deploy Rails. So Cameron, why did you invent Kubi? That is such a great question. So Kubi is definitely like a, a pet project of mine because I I listened to a podcast episode, actually. I'm a big podcast listener. And one of the podcasts um, that I spend the most time listening to probably is called The Ruby Rogues. So shout out to them. Um, And they had an episode with this guy named, I I think I'm going to probably butcher his name, but I think it's Stefan Vintemaya. And he was asking the Rails community or sort of bemoaning the fact that the Rails community doesn't really have a very good deployment story. And what I mean by that is, you know, and what he said too is that there are cool, very um, sort of baked-in solutions in Rails for almost everything. So, Active Record, we talked about that. It's it's a fantastic layer for accessing the database, and you've got Active Storage now for storing uh, files in the cloud. And there's Action Dispatch and Action Cable, and all these other cool things that are just baked into Rails, that, and you don't have to really, and the Asset Pipeline is another good example, and, and all the Webpacker integration. All that stuff just kind of works out of the box. So as a new engineer or somebody going through a boot camp um, who is coming to Rails for the first time, you know, you might be um, either self-pacing, you know, going through some guides online, or you might be taking a course. Rails just sort of feels easy to pick up. Uh, you know, you can just sort of, you know, set up your models, you can start accessing the database, you're sticking data into your views, and everything is just rolling, and it feels cool, and it feels great. And then it comes to trying to put your app online, and you kind of run into a brick wall. There's not a lot of help, at least in the Rails um, documentation, or even in the Rails framework that helps you deploy your code to production. Uh, and of course, there are solutions like Heroku, and there are solutions like uh, that AWS offers, and there's a and, and Cloud66 is another great example of a deployment solution for Rails. But there's not this coalescing around one solution in the Rails community for deployments like there is for a bunch of other areas of Rails development. And so um, listening to Stefan talk about this on the podcast, I was really just totally agreed with him. I thought this is a real hole in the Rails community that we we probably need to figure out at some point. Um, he also mentioned that, you know, he, he, he at least in his personal, I suppose maybe in his job, I think he's a consultant, but uh, he's just seen a bunch of cases where new Rails devs or, or people that are looking to deploy their code, they've been working on a Rails app and they just sort of fall off a cliff because there's just so much complexity and so many different solutions and not really the the one true choice in Rails for deployments. And what he was sort of calling for in the podcast too was um, like active deployment, just like we have active record and we have active storage, he wanted active deployment. 
So um, I did a little bit of poking around, and um, there are, again, there's some very, you know, Capistrano is a tool that a lot of Rails devs know that deploys code to production um, using sort of a, uh, an interesting, you know, deploy to a folder and then symlink that folder to a current directory and then restart your web server. You know, it's a, it's a really a very effective and easy sort of to understand method of deploying. Um, so that was definitely a consideration like, okay, should we just all continue to use Capistrano? Um, John Epperson has a tool called ShipLane that I actually have not had a chance to take a look at yet, but that sounds really promising. Um, and I did read the readme on it. What I really want though is a tool, or what I wanted is a tool that would integrate deeply with Rails, that would be something I could drop in um, that was very little configuration that I had to, to manually mess around with, and that you know used sort of what I would call you know industry standard tools. Um, and, and I think the Rails community too, you know, there's a lot of discussion. I think Brittany, you mentioned this a lot of discussion about um, containerization, or I, I heard that from somebody. The Rails community is definitely, you know, sort of going in the direction of containers. And so um, Kubi is is a direct outgrowth of all of those sort of thought processes coalescing into one, into a, into a, a gem that people can use. So um, just to, to dive into it, Kubi is a deployment system for Rails. It's a, a gem install, and usually another gem that for your cloud provider of choice. So uh, right now we support, or it, I shouldn't say we because it's just me right now. It supports um, DigitalOcean, Linode, Azure, and EKS, which is Amazon's Elastic Kubernetes service. And what Kubi will do for you under the hood is package up your Rails application into a Docker image. And then you can push that Docker image to a, a registry of some kind. I use GitLab for that because it's free. And then you can deploy your application into a Kubernetes cluster in any of these four services or service providers that I just mentioned. And this is done with maybe, let's see, I think in total I have like maybe 30 lines of Ruby configuration. And most of that is just generated from a, a Rails generator or you can copy and paste it from the documentation and just change a couple of the values that you need. And uh, you know, there's the, the more complicated side of it is to, to go to your cloud provider and spin up a Kubernetes cluster, but most of those make it just a couple of button clicks. Um, and there's a couple of knobs and things to, to, to twiddle there, but most of the time, you know, you'll, you can find a guide for your, your cloud provider of choice. And once that's configured, you, you can run a setup command, then, then build and push and then deploy. And um, it's really just a couple of commands and you should be good to go. It should put your app online and, um, you know, take a lot of the burden out of that process of deploying. Well, this sounds amazing. And if anyone has a candidate for action deployment, I think it's going to be you. I am curious on your thoughts, you know, with a framework that is so opinionated with Rails, do you think our community is ready to have something like action deployment? Oh, man, that's a great question. I think that the community is ready for something. And I think that, it, you know, it might as well. Well, I shouldn't say it might as well be Kubi because, you know, there's I mentioned before that there's so many different options that you can choose from, and especially for people who have applications that are maybe a little bit more complicated than the standard 80%, you know, Rails app that, that DHH talks about, you know, it, it might not be the solution for you, especially, you know, if you have a lot of bespoke setup and things to do. Um, so, you know, th there is that to consider. Not everybody has the same app and not everybody has the same needs, but I do think that Kubi could be that 80% solution uh, in the Rails community. Uh, so, and that's, I would say that's also what Rails is. You know, Rails is the 80% um, framework for people who are trying to build web apps too. Um, 
I don't think that it's 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 never going to be everything for everyone. That would just be way too complicated, and there would just be way too many weird edge cases that I'm sure we'd run into. Um, and you know, Stefan, in his appearance on the Ruby Rogues, you know, mentioned that you know this we don't really need to have a we don't necessarily need to have a tool for this. We could just have documentation that says, you know, follow these steps to deploy your Rails app. It could be part of the Rails guides even. Um, but I was thinking, like, why not turn this into a tool? You know, there's lots of cool stuff that you can do with a tool. Uh, for example, Kubi takes the opportunity to install uh, an SSL or a TLS certificate automatically for your application. And it can do that because it has access to, you know, basically your whole stack. It knows how requests are coming into your app. It knows, um, you know, the, the different ports and things your app is listening on. Because all that stuff is configured by the tool itself. Um, so it uses this thing called the cert manager, which is a really popular, what's called an operator in the Kubernetes world. And you'll just say to it, I'd like to equip my site with an SSL certificate, or I guess they're TLS certificates now. And it will say, okay, great. I'm going to reach out to Let's Encrypt. I'm going to grab you a certificate. I'm going to install it uh, for you here. And then HTTPS just magically works for your website. And it's that kind of like pseudo magic that that I, I really like in, in Rails. And I think that, you know, a lot of other tools would make that configuration really painful. And in the in this case, you don't even have to worry. You just say, I want to turn this on, and it just does it for you. So there's a lot of cool stuff that you can do with a tool that you couldn't necessarily do with documentation or just some guide somewhere. I agree, and I think it keeps our community safe. So I have more questions about Kubi, but we're going to take a quick word from our sponsor, Scout APM. Scout APM is quickly becoming my go-to performance monitoring tool for Rails apps. I love opening it up to see a prioritized list of issues that I can quickly knock out before my end users can ever see them. With weekly digests and alerts, I can rest easy knowing that Scout will let me know if issues arise. Ultimately, Scout APM empowers developers to spend more time building a great product by minimizing the effort required to identify and resolve performance issues. Scout's developer-centric approach quickly pinpoints N plus one queries, memory bloat, and other abnormalities. Their tracing logic saves me a ton of time by tying bottlenecks back to the line of code causing the issue. Give Scout a try for free today by going to scoutapm.com slash Ruby on Rails, and you'll have the performance insights you need in less than four minutes. And just as an added bonus for Ruby on Rails listeners, Scout will donate $5 to the open source project of your choice when you deploy. And hey, that could be Kubi. Thanks to Scout APM for sponsoring the show. So back to you, Cameron. I am very curious. You mentioned that you're currently supporting four different providers. And so did you go with Docker and Kubernetes so that you had a uniform solution that works with all of those providers? And how different was it to implement it for Azure versus Linode? I'm so glad you asked that because that's, I think, one of the big benefits of using Kubernetes. Um, So to answer your question, yes, I did choose it because it provides this really cool, very common very powerful substrate for basically all the cloud providers. Uh, what that means is like if your app can deploy in one cloud provider on their Kubernetes cluster, then it can deploy basically anywhere on any Kubernetes cluster. There are a couple of really small things that sometimes you need to tweak. Usually those are because um, of, of bugs. So for example, DigitalOcean has a bug um, where they were um, not allowing traffic to um, they were not allowing traffic to b- between pods, I think it was, is what it was. And a pod, by the way, is, is just a, a running thing in Kubernetes. It's like something that's like your Rails app would run inside a pod. Um, and so, you know, that was, uh, there, there have been those little cases where I've had to 
to tweak things and say, okay, well, I guess we need to change how we're deploying to this particular provider in order to work around a bug or, or two. But, um, but generally speaking, I haven't had to do that much um, tweaking there. There's only been a one or two things. I would say that um, you know, once you've got a cluster up, deploying to it and working with it is gonna be the same everywhere. So yeah, that's been that's been a really I think I think a really cool thing about um, the choice to use Kubernetes is that it's very uniform. Um, I'm trying to think of I know there was one other thing I wanted to mention about that. Um, the okay, and you had asked you know what was it like to implement the different providers. Um, so the the providers are are all very different. Uh, I would say maybe the two most similar ones would be DigitalOcean and Linode. But even they have have different uh, you know interfaces and whatnot. The implementing the providers was a lot more about trying to figure out how to connect to the cluster than it was about actually deploying things into it. So, for example, um, Azure. I don't know if you've ever used the Azure interface. Uh, I but, haven't. Okay. Well, I I don't want to bash them, but my goodness, it's complicated. It is. It's, it's even more complicated than AWS, and I had such a hard time figuring out how to make it work for what I was trying to do. Uh, lots of different guides online, lots of different blog posts and things, and I, I finally figured that out, but it was like, you know, in order to get the, so this, in order to connect to a Kubernetes cluster, you need this thing called the kubeconfig. And the kubeconfig contains things like, you know, what are the different, um, you know, uh, nodes in your in your cluster, and then is there a, there needs to be some sort of security, so there's usually an SSL certificate that you're using to, to connect to the cluster, so it makes it you know pretty secure to connect to it. And that's the hard part to, to figure out unless there's some you know really explicit guide. So in, in DigitalOcean's case, you can just download the kubeconfig straight from your straight from their, their control panel. But in Azure's case, you have to call an API. In order to call that API, you need to have some API client. And then you need to provide the subscription ID and the tenant ID and the key and the other thing and the other thing. And finally, you can get back this like weirdly base64 encoded version of your kubeconfig. So there's like all, all sorts of like, you know, like funny things like that in Azure. And the same thing is kind of true of, of Amazon's EKS. So that's where a lot of the complexity is, is like trying to figure out how to configure your machine to talk to to talk to these clusters. That is so insightful and really just proves that there should be a solution out there to make that accessible for everybody. So I'm gonna proceed my next question with the declaration that the Kubi Getting Started Guide should be a template used by all open source projects, but how should listeners get started with Kubi? <laughs> That's so nice, thank you for saying that. Um, well, you can go to getkubi.io, which I'm not sure, was that was, I just put that in the documentation uh, a couple of days ago, but there's a little documentation site and um, that has all the docs in it. You can also, there used to be a wiki, I should say. I can't go there anymore. There used to be a wiki uh, on the GitHub repo for Kubi Core, which is the main, the main gem. Um, but now getkubi.io is your, your place to go, and there's a getting started, a couple of getting started buttons on that page. Yeah, and the, the easiest way is just to follow that. And, and I think, um, you know, you're, you're gonna run into, Kubi is still a, a sort of a, a, a work in progress. It's, it's definitely not going to work for everybody right out of the box. I'm just going to say that right now. So if you run into problems with it, please let me know, and I will do my best to, to try and um, you know investigate what's going on. If you have some spare cycles, and hey, it's, Octo it's Hacktoberfest now, so if you've got some extra cycles and you want to, to dive in, I can always use more eyeballs on things and more contributors too. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, and actually this isn't, I haven't documented this yet either, but there's also a, a rails generator that makes, you know, even some of the copy pasting that you'd normally do 
obsolete at this point too. So, As someone who's continued to invest in the Ruby and Rails communities, even though you are writing Python day to day, what are your thoughts on the future of the Ruby, Rails, and technical communities? Mm, yeah, I think, so Ruby has gone through this really, I think the, the same the same sort of hype cycle that a lot of languages go through. And, um, you know, we started out, I would say, like in 2000, 2008, 2009, when everybody was going to Rails, like Rails was the hottest new thing. And, you know, it, it sort of peaked in 2012, maybe 2013, and then started going back down. And I just mean, when I say going back down, I, I think I just really mean in, in terms of, um, you know, the number of, of new apps being created, number of gems being published. But I think that that's also to be expected because, you know, every time that a new language, a new framework comes out, you know, there's going to be a lot of things that haven't been done in that language or that framework yet. And a lot of solutions that haven't been exi- haven't, haven't been created yet. I mean, the same thing really happened in Elixir when that first came out. Everybody was very excited about that. And, you know, there wasn't a database access layer. So Ecto was created. There wasn't a framework. So Phoenix got created, right? So there's lots of opportunities in a new language like that. Whereas in Ruby, a lot of the problems that we have had over the years have been solved. You know, there's lots of great gems. I mean, the community of of, of Rails developers is also just very welcoming and, and fantastic. And so I think a lot of people have been able to pick up um, Rails, you know, and Ruby pretty easily. And so, you know, now our job is, now that we're sort of on the on the the, the back end of the hype train, our job right now is to go and, and evangelize Ruby more to maybe people who haven't had a chance to use it before. So, yeah, I mean, I think the future is bright for Ruby and Rails. There's lots of really cool stuff coming out in, in Ruby, specifically Ruby 3 is supposed to drop this uh, Christmas day in December 25th, which is usually when they do new releases. And Ruby 3 is supposed to be three times faster than Ruby 2. It's going to have this Raptors thing, which is like um, a new sort of concurrency model that will make you make it so that things can run truly parallel in Ruby, which is a, a huge deal. Um, lots of other performance improvements and new features. So like Ruby is definitely moving forward. It's it's maybe not moving forward as fast as some other communities. Uh, and that's where that sort of evangelism, I think, really comes in. Like making sure that uh, your friends, if they're saying, I love JavaScript, you can say, yeah, JavaScript's cool, but have you heard of this Ruby thing? It's coming out version three now next year, or this, this end of this year. So yeah, I mean, those conversations, I'm sure, you know, <laughs> organically come up for a lot of people. So, you know. Well, I agree with you. I am on a personal mission to have more people from the Ruby and Ruby on Rails communities out there being guests on podcasts and speaking at conferences. So lastly, as someone who's spoken at several conferences and have been on several podcasts, do you have any advice for those who are starting to think about applying or asking to guest on a show or even perhaps spinning up their own podcast? Well, I think that somebody who's looking to appear on a podcast, um, you, you know, what I did for the Rails with Jason podcast and now for uh, the Ruby on Rails podcast uh, here is I just reached out to the the hosts of the show and said, would you like to talk about Kubi? And uh, both of you guys were very gracious and said, sure, let's do it. Um, so, and there, that's not, I guess, always the way that it works because sometimes um, like the changelog, for example, has a whole like issue tracker on GitHub where they they sort of curate their list of guests from that. And uh, so, you know, like there's there's many, many ways to go around it. I would say that um, just like for conference speaking, you don't have to be a, a, an expert in something to talk about it. You know, a lot of times the, the people who have just worked on something or have just um, tried to integrate something into their app or 
um, you know, who are new in general to a community are the best ones to talk about it because they see the rough edges in some cases, and they also have a totally different perspective than somebody who's been in the community for many, many years. I agree. So listeners, please put yourself out there because we want to hear from you. So Cameron, how can listeners follow you? Yeah, I am on Twitter at Cameratron, C-A-M-E-R-T-R-O-N. And I'm on GitHub. Also, I'm pretty much on the internet everywhere as Cameratron. So you can find me there. All right. We will link that in the show notes. Cameron, thank you so much for reaching out. You were truly a wonderful guest to have. And thank you for all your wonderful contributions to the Ruby on Rails community. Thank you so much for having me, Brittany. It's been a blast. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 network. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review. And thank you for listening.